Well, you have you may have noticed in our scripture reading this morning, as we looked at Philippians one verses that we'd heard several weeks back, uh, that there was a call to stand firm. And our message this morning is really about this idea of standing firm because Paul repeats that command in our passage, which we'll look at in just a moment. But as you hear this idea, this this phrase, stand firm, especially as a Christian, what comes to mind? What does that look like to you to stand firm in the Lord? Uh, many years ago, we had some friends from Moody where we, uh, Darcy and I went to college and they were visiting us here in Southern California. And, um, there were a couple that we knew very well and, um, she was pregnant and they wanted to go for a walk on the beach before they left town. And so we drove around, uh, to the beach looking for a parking spot and, and trying to find one that was close so she wouldn't have to walk really far. And we found this perfect spot. And for some reason, I can't really remember the details. But the two guys got out of the car and were supposed to hold that spot while the women circled back around and were going to come get in that spot. And it seemed like it would work beautifully. And so the husband and I stood in that spot and then sure enough, a large truck pulled up right next uh, to us and began backing in to parallel park. And I remember the impulse in the moment, I need to stand firm and hold this spot for the sake of chivalry and pregnant women walking to the beach and and all else. And so I remember trying to stand as tall as I could and just um, kind of shuffling my feet backward as the truck just kept coming back into the spot. And eventually he took the spot. We kept yelling, pregnant, need the spot, they're coming. And nothing stopped the backward movement of the truck. So they got the spot. We were defeated and frustrated. And I realized I had failed to stand firm. And I remember that night just mulling over this, trying to get over the anger really in my heart. And one of the things that I that, that came to my mind is, oh, if we had just laid down, if we had just laid down in the spot, he would have had to run us over. And I realized that standing Standing firm in that moment may have been a lot less about standing and more about doing something that was actually seemed pretty counterintuitive. I'm not sure that it would work. Children, I'm not recommending that you lay down in parking lots in any way. But I think that sometimes as Christians, we may find ourselves in a similar spot when we think about standing firm. We may have this idea in our mind, but we haven't really thought about what does that mean. And and if we don't know how we're supposed to stand firm, then we actually might prove to be quite ineffective at actually standing firm. And so what's beautiful about our text today is that in chapter 1, verse 27, Paul introduced this idea of standing firm. And now he picks back up on it in chapter 4, verse 1. And what he's been doing in between is just layer upon layer, really, of what standing firm looks like. And so as we take a look at our passage this morning, I think we'll see what Paul means when he's calling the Philippians to stand firm in the Lord, and we'll know how to better do that as believers together. So hear God's word as I I read Philippians chapter 4, verses 1 to 3. If you're following along in your bulletins, it's on page 8, but Philippians 4, verses 1 through 3. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, My joy and crown. Stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. 
Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Let's pray as we ask God's help to consider his word this morning. Our Father in heaven, we ask for your help as we look to your word. We know that in it you speak to us and you use your spirit to illumine our hearts that we become more like our Savior, Jesus Christ. We know that we can't do this in and of ourselves, and so we ask your help this morning. And it's in Jesus' name that we ask. Amen. Well, as we consider this call to stand firm, we notice that there's there's three main components that we find here in the context of that call. And the first is that standing firm involves growing in Christ-like affection. Standing firm involves growing in Christ-like affection. One of the things that you can't help but notice in the book of Philippians is the way Paul speaks of them and how much he loves them. And that's not because they were his favorites for some reason. It's because he views them as brothers and sisters in Christ. Did you notice the beloved sandwich that happens there in 4.1? He, he starts, therefore, brothers, whom I love, which is, therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters. And then he adds the same word again at the end. This beloved phrase is, is a term of deep family affection. My dearly loved ones, he says as he speaks to them. And then again, he says that he longs for them. He misses them. He hates being apart from them. One commentator described this word as referring to homesick tenderness when he thinks of the Philippians. And why is it that he misses them so much? Well, because they're family to him. They are spiritual family to him. The ESV, the version that's printed there in your bulletin and that we're using overall, begins with the word brothers. And you may have noticed throughout the book of Philippians that there's this repeated footnote pretty much each time the chapter begins with this word, the first time brothers appears in the chapter. And that footnote says brothers could also be translated brothers and sisters. And I think what they should really say is brothers should also be translated brothers and sisters. Because Paul uses it here and many places throughout the letter to address the whole church. And in our passage in particular, he says brothers and sisters, and he goes on to speak of women. It's very clear that this is a phrase that's used to address both men and women when he speaks in this way. And so, regardless of what our translation says, one of the things that we have to do is train ourselves to hear this beautiful family language when we see that phrase, brothers and brothers and sisters. Do you realize that when we call each other brother and sister in the Lord, it means that we've been adopted by the benevolent grace of God the Father. And that's received through faith in Jesus Christ. And we've been brought into a family that's like no other family. It's not a family where there's jockeying for position and where there's rivalry and favorites, but where we have one beloved older brother, the Lord Jesus Christ, who has gone before us. And we are now all beloved co-heirs in him. 
And in fact, this, this term that Paul uses, beloved, is the same term that the Father said when he spoke of the Son. This is my beloved Son. And now through faith in Christ, we become beloved by God and we're to view each other as beloved brothers and sisters. You see, we're not merely those who profess faith in Jesus, but we're also those who see each other in Jesus as well. And when we do so, we see each other as beloved family. And so as we think about this call to stand firm, what we see is that for Paul, you won't stand firm unless you're with people that you love. (laughs) You won't be standing firm with people that you don't have Christ-like affection for. And so part of the call to stand firm is to grow in that Christ-like affection as we consider each and every member here of this local body of Grace Bible Church. And so what we see, first of all, is that it's essential to treat each other as beloved family. But then Paul goes on to show that we're actually each part of the family business together. We're each consumed by this same mission. And so what we see, secondly, is that standing firm involves working together in our common mission. Standing firm involves working together in our common mission. This group of family citizens, as Paul thinks about them here, they're brought together in a common mission. And a key term that we see here is that these women that he speaks of, who are actually having a disagreement, but as he thinks about them in the faith, one of the prominent things that comes to his mind is that these women have labored side by side with me in the gospel. And they've labored side by side along with Clement, and we're not sure who he is per se, and the rest of Paul's fellow workers, those who were sharing in that gospel mission. But that term, labored side by side, it's a unique term that's used only two times in the New Testament. It's used here, and it's also used back in chapter 1, verse 27, which we heard this morning where he says, I want to hear that all of you are striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. So striving side by side, laboring side by side, this is a term that speaks of what we do as believers together. And this term, striving, laboring side by side, it shows us two things about standing firm. The first thing that it shows us is that we have the same goal. We have the same goal as we stand firm together. This term has both athletic imagery involved in it, as you have a team that's competing side by side for the win, um, working towards that same goal of winning that competition. It also has military imagery. Uh, It's used in, in military settings as well, of soldiers fighting side by side for the same cause together. Well, as believers, what is that cause? What is that goal that we are all pursuing together? Well, it's the gospel. In in our passage, it says fighting side by side, standing side by side in the gospel. In chapter 1, verse 27, it says you're striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Well, what does that mean that, that the gospel is our common goal together? Well, as we look at how Paul speaks about it, it can really be boiled down to two things. It's building each other up in the gospel, and it's also proclaiming the gospel 
to the world, shining like stars, supporting missionary work like Paul's. And so as we think about this gospel mission that we have, it's always this twofold thing that works together. It's growing in the gospel together, building each other up in the gospel so that the gospel can go forth in our lifestyle and with our words where the Lord has placed us. And so our goal is always both growing in the gospel and also the spread of the gospel. But do you realize how easy it can be, especially as we continue on in the faith, to drift from this goal? We can become Christians who find themselves about other things, and those things are often good things, and those things are often related to the gospel. They could be things like how we educate our kids, the lifestyle we pursue, the particular ways of doing church, or causes that are good for humanity as a whole and for evangelism. But while all those things are good and relate to the gospel and are shaped by scripture, if we become, if those things become our mission or our goal, if we start to think our church is about this and we fill that in with any of those other things, then we've lost sight of what our mission together really is. That it's about growing in the gospel and spreading that gospel together. And when we start to have mission creep that way, when we start to put good things in the place of the goal, what it means is we won't be able to stand together because we'll be standing together about something that's not actually the goal we're to be pursuing. And so what we see in this word laboring side by side is, first of all, that we have the same goal. But then secondly, what we see is we have to work together in that goal. This mission, this gospel mission, is done side by side. It's the same athletic team. We're we're all on that same team. It's the same military platoon involved in this fight together. We need each other in this, and everyone is needed in this family business, in this gospel mission. And what this passage particularly highlights is that we need both men and women together in this mission. Brothers and sisters are essential. You know, sometimes we may come to this passage which speaks of two ladies who are disagreeing, Euodia and Syntyche. And and what we see is Euodia, Syntyche agree. And what happens is we lose sight of the other, the entire context of what Paul's actually saying about these women. What actually stands out more as we read this passage is how highly esteemed and valuable Euodia and Syntyche are to the Apostle Paul. They are beloved family to him. They are those who have labored side by side with him, along with all of his fellow workers, partnering together in that gospel work. And as we saw in our scripture reading this morning, what's what's especially significant as we consider the church at Philippi is how central women were to the formation of that church. 
Paul and his fellow workers went down by the water where they expected to find men gathered for prayer. And what did they find? They found Lydia and other women. And Lydia became converted. And the church started in Lydia's home in Philippi. And what's fascinating is Paul's vision of the man from Macedonia calling out for the gospel to come to them is answered at least in part by these women in Philippi who had faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ. And so Paul sees them as essential to this gospel mission. And in fact, that helps us understand the urgency of Paul's plea for them to agree. Why is it that Paul's so concerned that he actually names Euodia and Syntyche and says, please agree together in the Lord? Because they're so key to the gospel work there in Philippi. He sees them as a vital part of that team together. And so what we see as we look at Scripture as a whole, that when it comes to the church, when it comes to the kingdom of God, when it comes to the family of God, men and women are on the very same team, striving side by side for the gospel. Men and women are soldiers together, fighting side by side as we endure opposition together building up and reaching out with the gospel. Do we view our gospel mission this way as a church? You know, in a a church like ours, where we firmly believe in the Apostles Paul's teaching about God's design for men and for women in the church and in the home, we may have a tendency to implicitly or explicitly even, downplay women's importance in this whole gospel work. But do you realize that the same Paul who gave these instructions about men and women in the church and in the home, he affirms these women as essential to that gospel work. And so I just want to make this explicit because the passage makes it explicit. Ladies of GBC... You are vitally needed in this church's gospel witness in the world. Your minds, your thoughts, your feelings, your understanding of people in the world, your wisdom, your walk with the Lord, your words, your service, your gifts, your love for the body, it's all absolutely essential for GBC's mission in the world to be effective and to be how God has designed it to be. And it's not just women. Brothers and sisters, we are called to work side by side toward that same goal together, to build each other up with everything that we have so that we can hold forth this beautiful message to a world that sees in us a family and a team like no other. And so we have this common mission because we're beloved family, right? But what happens when we hit bumps in the road? I'd kind of like to just stop the sermon here and it's all rosy and we walk away singing hurrah about our, our mission together. But the reality is in the real world, as we walk as sojourners, differences will arise among us in the church. And so how do we stand firm in the face of those differences. 
Well, that brings us to our third point. We stand firm by pursuing Christ-like unity. We stand firm by pursuing Christ-like unity. There's a division that has been building at Philippi, right? Euodia and Syntyche, two prominent women in the church, they're having a disagreement. And we don't know what that disagreement was. But what is important is that Paul holds forth the remedy for us. And that's what we really need to understand. Paul's solution is that they agree in the Lord. Well, what does it mean for them to agree in the Lord? And there are two main things to consider. The content of agreeing in the Lord and the method of agreeing in the Lord. First of all, let's think about the content, what it means when it says, in the Lord. One of the things that we see in this passage, you may have noticed it, is that Paul entreats both women. And that word entreat here is a, it's a tender, a friendly call to be reconciled to each other. But, but he entreats both of them. And Paul isn't, um, accidentally duplicating his words. He's doing this on purpose when he puts that word next to both of their names. Because what he's doing is, he's saying, I am not taking sides on this issue, but I'm asking that you come to agree about it in the Lord. This tells us about the content of their disagreement. This is not a doctrinal issue that Paul needs to address. This is a difference that is in the Lord. There are issues that Paul certainly steps in and corrects in the church. He confronts those who are adding to the gospel, who are putting confidence in the flesh. Last week he saw that he warned with tears of those who walk as enemies of the cross. And in other letters, he calls that out specifically. But this was not one of those issues. For Paul, whatever this disagreement was, it was in the Lord. Now, there are many issues that can arise in the church that we differ over, that are good things, good emphases, and are in the Lord. They can be, again, lifestyle choices about what you watch and listen to and how you spend your money or your time. Many of the ways we work things out in our homes and health choices that we make and political decisions that we make. All kinds of issues of wisdom that are in the Lord. And when I say that, it doesn't mean that these things are unimportant. Sure, you have come to your view based on biblical principles as a follower of Christ. Sure, there are implications for having a different view, and it will have consequences. But Paul teaches us to ask this question when we have disagreements. Can someone view this differently and still be in the Lord? There's a major tendency in our world right now to say, if you think this, then you're against all of this. You, we may have seen this in how we interact with society. You speak out against one thing, and you're the enemy. You have a different way of thinking about one issue, and you're the problem, right? But do you realize that we do this in the church as well? But we've just found a more spiritual way to do it, which is what we typically do uh, with our various temptations. The way we do it is we make everything a theological issue. If you believe this, then you lose it all. If you view this differently, the gospel is at stake. 
Those are significant words. There are some issues at which the gospel is at stake. And we do need to stand firm for those truths. But most of our disagreements as believers are about issues that are actually in the Lord together. And this hyperbolic thinking and speaking is actually dangerous to the church because do you see what it does? It prevents us from being able to stand firm together with issues where we can actually disagree in the Lord because if you take a different side, you're losing the gospel. It's all over. It leaves no room for disagreeing in the Lord. And in churches like ours, where we take scripture and doctrine very seriously, one of the weaknesses that we often have is we're not very good at parsing out our differences. Sinclair Ferguson, the uh, well-known pastor and um, professor, he says this, and I just think it's so insightful, and I'd like you to hear it from someone other than me. But he says this, Christian fellowships are often at their worst when dealing with differences of opinion. In some ways, biblically-based churches find it easier to deal with false teaching. But personal differences can be almost as deadly. Dividing the fellowship, sowing seeds of bitterness, diverting issues from central issues to sometimes petty, peripheral concerns, sucking energy that should be employed in building up believers and reaching out to the community. And then he says this, How effectively we handle these differences may say more about the biblical character of our church life than how we handle heresy. You have my word that we will handle heresy here at GBC, but we all have to grow together and being able to handle our differences well together. And we've done that so well for this last year, and we want to continue to grow in that as our church. And so the first step of pursuing Christ-like unity is considering the content of our difference. Is it a difference that's in the Lord? And then second, we consider the method. Are we dealing with our differences the Lord's way? This call that he gives to agree in the Lord literally is be of one mind in the Lord. And for those of you who have been here while we've been studying Philippians, does that sound familiar at all? Paul has been harping on this word all throughout. This call to agree or be of one mind shows us that how we disagree is actually crucial. One-mindedness is this major theme. He said it over and over. Be of the same mind. Have this mind among yourselves. And what mind is that? It's the same humble mind of our Lord Jesus Christ. So how were Euodia and Syntyche supposed to work through this disagreement? With the same mind? With the same disposition and orientation toward each other as our Lord Jesus has with us. By looking to the other's interests and not insisting on their own way and laying aside their rights, they were to handle this by being conformed by Jesus' resurrection power into the form of a Christ-like servant to one another. You know, there may not be a way to fully resolve our differences in the Lord this side of glory. But there is always a way to agree in the Lord, and that's to respond in Christ-like humility towards those, those whom with, 
the people we disagree with, is what I was trying to say there. Now, this isn't always easy, is it? It can be really hard when we think that we're right to figure out how we can respond in a Christ-like way to someone that we may think is wrong. And these disagreements can become so big to us, and part of what we see in this passage is that we walk together in these disagreements in the Lord. Did you notice that Paul also appeals to someone else? True companion, help these ladies. We don't know who this is. There's all kinds of speculation. Timothy, Epaphroditus, Luke. It could be the guy's name. Suzuge is instead of companion. That's his name. Whoever it is, this person knew who they were when they heard this. And Paul calls on this person to help, which that, that phrase means take hold of and assist in this situation. It implies that Euodia and Syntyche were already trying to work it out. But they needed assistance in the situation. They just were stuck. And so what does this show us? It shows us that this working together in pursuing unity is something that we do together. We may need help. We may not always be able to work through our differences ourselves. And this shows us there's no shame in seeking help from other believers. And in fact, it's actually showing maturity and understanding of what Paul's talking about. And so it shows that we may need help, but it also shows us that we may need to give help, doesn't it? Can you imagine what it would have been like if you were that faithful companion hearing this letter read and you hear Euodia and Syntyche and you think, it's not me. And then it goes on, and faithful companion, please help. And it's, and, and what it shows us is this, disagreements in our local body are not something where we're able to say, whew, glad I'm not in that disagreement. Because those disagreements actually affect our mission together. And there's something that we're called to help in. Now that help doesn't mean we rush in and we blow things up. We need to listen carefully and seek to understand well and to see if there's a way this disagreement can be handled Jesus' way. But do you realize what Paul is saying? We can't stand firm together in common gospel mission when our response to someone who differs with us is not Christ-like. It undercuts everything that we're trying to say about the gospel. So standing firm involves pursuing Christ-like unity together. And so we've seen those three things, right? What does it look like for Christians to stand firm in the Lord? And I think that the things that we've talked about this morning can really be summarized beautifully in some of Paul's words that we didn't talk about. He says that the Philippians are his joy and his crown. You know what that means? It means that the joy and reward that Paul is looking forward to when the Lord Jesus returns is bound up with the fact that the Philippians will be there with him on that day. He will rejoice that they are there and their very presence is part of his very reward of seeing the Lord Jesus. And that's how he views the Philippians in the way that he treats them. And so do you realize that if if we have our eyes fixed on what we will one day be, it enables us to actually stand firm with one another. If we see each other 
as our joy and crown. What will we long to say together when we, when we see one another on that day? We'll run up and embrace the other and say, we made it. We have obtained the prize. Our Lord Jesus is here. And I think part of what we'll be saying is we gave it everything that we had. We grew in love as family in the Lord. We strove to build each other up in the gospel and to hold it forth even when the world was opposed to us. And we pursued becoming like Jesus together even in our differences. We were conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus as a servant together. And now look, we have been made like him in glory. And so do you see that standing firm is really just living together now, aware of what we will be together one day. And so let's ask our Lord's help as we continue in this pursuit. Our Father in heaven, we're amazed at the love that you have lavished upon us made us a part of your family. We thank you for the sure hope of your upward call in Christ Jesus that is ours and that one day we will see him. And our prayer is that we will do that together and that you would help us stand firm together, side by side, in this gospel work until our Lord Jesus returns. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.